Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of verses in Romans chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, you may want to turn there. Uh, But let's start by just telling you a little bit of a story. So a friend of mine called Andy came round uh, to our house a while back um, and uh, I offered him a cup of coffee. I'd already made one for myself before he'd arrived and so I knew there's a bit of water in the kettle but not enough. So I kind of topped it up, stuck it on, uh, went through to the front room, chatted to him for a bit, came back a couple of minutes later, made him the coffee, took it through, served it to him. He drank it. Good story. And uh, (laughs) it was only afterwards I discovered that although I had turned the kettle on, it wasn't plugged in at the wall. And so I had made this guy... Uh, a cup of coffee that was made from a tiny bit of off-boil water topped up with cold water from the tap. And Andy was so polite that he just drank the thing. Um, although, secretly, I reckon he probably thought, Liam's a bit of a foodie. Maybe this is some new coffee trend, like you know, tepid brew or something. I don't know. Um, I don't think I could have done that, to be honest, because there is just nothing... Wor- well, there are worse things. But like in, in the world of beverages, there are a few things worse than a tepid cup of coffee. It's just unpleasant. It's not hot enough to be warming or cold enough to be refreshing. It's just, ugh. Um, William Booth, one of the foundation, uh, founders of the Salvation Army, used to say this, I like my tea as I like my religion. Hot, very hot. And both that story and that quote came to mind today as I was thinking about this passage that we're going to look at, because we're going to look at a couple of verses in Romans chapter 12, where Paul talks about the spiritual life, and he uses this language, not of tea or coffee, but of heat, of sort of vibrancy, of passion, and of power to describe the spiritual life. According to Paul in Romans 12, the spiritual life should feel like something characterized by fire. I wonder if you would say that your spiritual life feels like that. Maybe for some of us, we wouldn't. (laughs) And maybe actually for some of us, if we're honest, we would say our spiritual life tends to feel a little bit more like Andy's cup of coffee. (laughs) It might have started out with some kind of boiling heat, but over time it's got cooled down, whether by, well, just the events of the last couple of years or the passing of time or disappointment or whatever it happens to be. It may well be that you're here today and you're, you're feeling really on fire, or you may just be like, that's not me at all. I feel awful and I'm dreading this talk. <laughs> uh, I hope that there'll be stuff to encourage you however you are feeling today. But I do believe that the spiritual life is meant to be characterised by fire, by passion, by zeal. And Romans 12 says this, verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I want to unpack those two verses using two ideas tonight, which are fire and fuel. We'll start with verse 11, which says this, keep your spiritual fervour, which is actually not a very good translation. (laughs) And that's not just in my humble opinion, Uh, but actually most commentators point that out. In fact, right back to the church fathers and Calvin, they all point this out. I don't know why they still put it like that in our Bibles, but really that's not a great translation at all. The English word fervour is often sort of related to this intense and sort of passionate feeling. So when we hear, or when I hear at least, the idea of spiritual fervour, it sounds to me like Paul is saying, you must always feel like you're on a spiritual high. Be like really spiritually, emotionally charged. And when I hear that, I think, yeah, I don't always feel like that. That can actually make me feel pretty, well, I guess depressed or like an awful Christian. See, for many of us, that's not what the Christian life feels like, at least not all the time. 
But that's not really the best translation of these words. Actually, the word translated further, it does mean to be like burning embers. So there is this sense of heat to it. But the word translated spiritual is better translated of the spirit or by the spirit. We're referring not to our spirit, but actually the Holy Spirit. So most commentators point out that a better way of translating this would be be set on fire by the spirit. The Holy Spirit is the instrument that, that brings the heat into our spiritual lives. And I think that's really important. Because if you read these verses and you think that Paul is saying that we should feel just intensely passionate on a spiritual high all the time, actually we set the benchmark at a wrong place and we set ourselves up for disappointment. To be clear, I love spiritual experiences. <laughs> I love those times where I just feel like emotionally engaged and I feel on fire. I value those. I, I think actually we should expect those and we should pursue those times. But simply feeling spiritual is not the same as being on fire. Actually, I would put it to you that this verse is less to do with how we feel and more about what we do with the fire in our lives. Because Paul says, be set on fire by the Spirit, serving the Lord. The purpose of being set on fire with the Spirit is not just that we feel good or we have a great worship time, it's that we do something. You don't start a fire for no reason. I'm in Manchester, so maybe you do, I don't know. But where I am, in Oxford, we're all very polite. We don't start fires for no reason. Like generally, you start a fire because you want to achieve something, whether it's melting something or cooking something or like starting an engine and getting it moving or just doing something. You start a fire for a purpose. And when Paul talks about us being set on fire by the Spirit, it's not just so that we have a nice spiritual life where we feel good all the time. It's so we do something, be set on fire serving the Lord. Worship times, prayer, a vibrant spiritual life, they're really important, but they're not the end goal. They are the fuel for the fire for the purpose of serving the Lord, which I think in this context actually refers to mission. Because in a couple of chapters later, when Paul talks about his own life and ministry in chapter 15, he says that for him, serving God through the power of the Spirit means proclaiming the good news of Jesus, making him known where he isn't known, and demonstrating the power of the gospel, not only with words, but with signs and wonders. That should be the result of being set on fire by the Spirit. We should be people of mission. The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard said this, Christianity is incendiarism. Christianity is fire setting. A Christian is a person who is set on fire. I love that quote because it has two ideas to it. A Christian should be someone who themselves are set on fire and then who start fires wherever they go. We are set on fire by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so that we will have an effect on the world around us. The idea is that when we are set on fire by the Spirit, we should just have this glow such that when other people come into contact with us, they catch light. A few years back, oh, who am I kidding? It was when I was at university, which I realised today in conversation with someone was 20 years ago today, like I started university, so I feel very old. Um, But yeah, back at university, I remember a friend of mine invited uh, invited me to a party. I didn't know anyone there. And so my mate Andrew introduced me. And uh, he introduced me to a first bunch of friends. He said, oh, this is Liam. Uh, He's a Christian, but don't worry, you wouldn't know. (laughs) And that was like a shock moment for me. And he meant it as a compliment. I mean, basically, he was saying, he's a Christian, but don't worry, he's not going to ruin the party. Like, he's not going to, like, pull out a Bible and preach or, like, hijack the Spotify playlist and play Kumbaya or whatever. Uh, I mean, who am I kidding? They didn't have Spotify back then. (laughs) He hasn't brought it on a cassette. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling really low tonight. Uh, Yeah. But anyway, like, he meant it as a compliment. I, I was shocked by that. 
I, I took it as a wake-up call because I kind of think you sh- should know, right? But it made me realize how easily I just allow my faith to be dampened down. I allow culture or other people's expectations or fear of man or whatever just to be like pouring cold water on the embers of my spiritual life. I don't want to seem too intense. I don't want to seem too weird. And so I dial it down such that my friend could say, this guy's a Christian, but don't worry. You wouldn't know. I don't want to live a lukewarm life. To be clear, I don't think we should be like weird and, <laughs> and just like pushing our faith in people's face. I'm not saying that at all. I don't think we should be loud or obnoxious or unpleasant or strange. But I am saying this. Our world is desperately in need of hope and healing and answers and a spirituality that works. If they're not going to find it through us, where are they going to find it? I want to be set on fire by the Spirit, not so that I just have a great life, but so that this world that needs to experience the warmth of God's presence will experience it through proximity to me and you. We need to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And I'm preaching to myself as much as to you guys, to be honest. I know that there are so many temptations in my life just to water down or just to cool off my spiritual temperature. We've just moved from, we've been in London for 12 years, moved to Oxford, and so you're getting to know new people, and of course you want to be liked, and you want people to not think you're too weird as you move in next door to them, and they're like, oh my God, I live with these people. And so I feel that temptation just to dial down. I don't want to be lukewarm. The people around me, they need to feel something of the heat of God's presence. They need to know a spiritually vibrant life that is available to them that's going to come. How? Through me being set on fire by the Spirit. And yet so often it's really easy just to think, I'll play the long game. (laughs) Which basically means I won't talk about Jesus until maybe a little while later into our relationship. And then it becomes more awkward. You know that thing where you just, like, you meet someone and you forget their name, but now it's been a year and you feel like you can't ask again. (laughs) And you're like, ah, hi, friend you know it becomes like that with the christian faith we just think oh man this guy's known me for a year and i haven't mentioned the j word jesus and it's like now it's too awkward to throw that in and i notice i just get lukewarm or i find that there are things that the world says hey you need this you need to prioritize this if you want to have a successful life a fulfilling life and my heart can be pulled in that direction all the while it's like cold water being poured on the embers of my spiritual life and over time the fire dwindles i'm preaching to myself tonight as much as to you maybe more than just to you <laughs> i don't know what it is for you maybe some of you here are students maybe some of you have just begun your student life and i remember with student life there's so much pressure just so much change, so many new opportunities, new challenges that come your way. You want to be liked, you want to fit in, and it can be so easy just to dial down on your faith. Actually, lots of people say that university is a really challenging time for faith, and that definitely can be true. Actually, for me, it was a time when my faith came alive, and I want to believe that that can be true for you. And if you've just arrived at university or you're trying to find your place here, this can be one of the most spiritually vibrant times of your life if you make wise choices to prioritise the presence of the Holy Spirit. It may be that you're starting a new job or in a different season of life. Wherever you are, can I encourage you to prioritise the presence and the power of the Spirit? Tonight we're going to ask that he will set us on fire again. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer for the Holy Spirit if you would like. May it never be said of you as it was said of me, they're a Christian, but you wouldn't know. 
May that never be said of me again. I want people to know. When we are set on fire by the Spirit, that should shine through in so many areas of our lives. It should shine through in our character, in the choices we make about the way we live. It should shine through in our good deeds, the way we serve, in our, in our faith, the countercultural way we live. It should shine through in our hope. You know, it says in verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Yeah, I've been thinking about this recently. I think one of the most powerful things we can do is be people of hope. Because we live at a time where there is a lack of hope. We live in a relatively hopeless world. And so if we as Christians can live as people of hope, not in a naive way that sort of ignores all the difficulty in the world, but in a, in a way that finds our identity and our, our power and our strength from somewhere else, we can demonstrate a hope that this world desperately needs to see, needs to hear. I think one of the most powerful things we can do is live as people of hope. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I've heard that verse quoted so many times and everyone focuses on the beginning bit of it. You know, always be prepared with a difficult, you know, an answer to the difficult questions that people ask you. I'm struck by the second half of that. Why do the people ask you the questions in the first place? It's because they recognise that there's hope within you. I think there's a presupposition in this verse that we should be people of hope such that the hope emanates from us and people are provoked to ask questions about the spiritual life because they see that you're living differently to everyone else. Does your hope shine through? I think a life set on fire by the Spirit should be a life that exudes hope, that makes people go, there's something different here. I want to know, what is this hope? Where did it come from and how can I have it too? If you've ever thought, I wish my friends would ask me more questions about my spiritual life, you need to exude hope. Again, not in a naive or hyped up way, not in an unrealistic way, but in a way that comes naturally when you find your identity in God and the power of the Spirit is evident in your life. We need the power of the Spirit. We need to be set on fire by him for the sake of this world. But that doesn't mean that the vibrancy of our spiritual life depends entirely on the Holy Spirit. You know, we say be set on fire by the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that we can just sort of sit back and wait for him to do the stuff. <laughs> Actually, I think there is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. He is the one that sets us on fire, but once a fire is started, we need to add fuel to it in order to keep it going. It's my wife's birthday last summer. And, I mean, it's my wife's birthday every summer. Like, I know how birthdays work. But uh, last summer particularly, we just moved to Oxford and um, just got, uh, like, had a garden for the first time. We lived in London in a tiny little flat before. Uh, and so it's like, oh, there's outside space. It's amazing. So we got barbecue. We thought, let's do a barbecue for a birthday. And so I got this new barbecue and uh, got it going and uh, got it just like, it was a gas barbecue because um, I had no idea what I was doing and I, I should have got a cold one, but there we go. So I'm setting this thing going and I got all like the flames just burning hot and I was getting ready and I put everything on the barbecue and then the gas regulator just broke just like the thing just shattered and so there was no more gas coming through to the barbecue and so I had this flame that was like raging hot and then just died out within 30 seconds and this sort of chicken sitting there like barely cooked I mean not even my mate Andy would have dared eat that you know <laughs> although it would have been fun to have a go but like so the thing is I got that so hot so hot but as soon as the gas stopped the flames went down and for me I think that's a picture of the spiritual life I don't know what your experience was of becoming a Christian, but so often at the beginning, you have a vibrant encounter with God that changes everything. You get excited. Maybe you experience relationship with God in a way that feels vibrant, in a way that feels fresh, in a way that fills you with passion. And that's great. 
But if you try and ride out the rest of your spiritual life based on that one experience, it will not last. The initial flame needs to be kept alive by the regular adding of fuel if you're going to make it the journey. And that regular adding of fuel is probably nowhere near as exciting as that initial spark, but it's necessary if you're going to sustain the fire of God in your life. We need to be people who are set on fire by the Spirit, but who then add fuel to keep the fire of the Spirit vibrant in our lives. Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor. We have a responsibility to do that, to add fuel to the fire of our lives in order to keep the Spirit's work going. Our spiritual life, our spiritual vibrancy doesn't just rest on him, but on us in partnership with him. There's this picture that I love in the book of Leviticus, which I'm sure you you all love. It's your favourite book, right? Like Leviticus, it's it's a challenging book. But there's this great bit I love in in chapter 6, where there are these instructions to the priests about the altar and the fire on the altar. It says this, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. There's this sense of like importance and urgency to it. The priests have to, like, they have to really focus on this daily. They have to be tending to it. It must not go out. That sounds like a heavy burden on the priests. But what happens a couple of chapters later? Chapter 9, once they've been given all these instructions, we're told that they set it all out and Moses and Aaron go into the tent. And then it says, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and set it all on fire. So get the picture. The fire doesn't come from human effort. They don't create the fire. The fire comes from God himself. But then it's the priest's duty to keep it burning. And that, I think, is a picture of the spiritual life. The Christian life is not about hyping up or creating anything ourselves. We can't do that. It's about being set on fire by God. The spirit is a gift, not something we earn, not something we manufacture. The spirit's activity in our life is a gift. But once he sets us on fire, like the priests, we then have the duty of keeping the fire burning through the regular addition of fuel. Paul tells the Ephesians to go on being filled with the spirit in Ephesians 5. The fact that he can tell them that tells me that actually he thinks they can do something about that. We have a choice how much of the Spirit's activity we experience in our lives. We are tasked with keeping our spiritual fervour. And of course, there are loads of things that we could talk about that help us to do that. I just want to bring out three, and then we're going to worship and we're going to pray. And they're three that kind of come from this passage, and I think are actually all related. And I put them to you tonight, not as the only things to do, but as three that I think if we got these more in in our lives, we would experience more of the vibrancy of the Spirit. And the first is this, develop a relationship with the Spirit. You know, one of the things I, I think is sometimes a danger when we talk about the Holy Spirit is that we use language, which is in Scripture, of him being like wind or a dove or fire or uh, oil or these sorts of things, which are just inanimate. <laughs> and yes, they're biblical pictures, but if we think that the Spirit is just a thing, we miss out on what it really is to have a relationship with him. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is God. And so it's not just that we master how to use the Spirit. We need to develop a relationship with the Spirit. So my question to you is, are you on friendly terms with the Holy Spirit? Are you carving out time to talk to him, to enjoy his presence, to ask him questions about things, to listen to him? Are you eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit in your life? 
I know many Christians who talk about being open to the Spirit. And, you know, that's fine as far as it goes. I'd rather they were open than closed. (laughs) I, I grew up in churches that said, we're open to the Spirit. But actually, he asks us to do something more than simply be open to him. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we're told in this Spirit-inspired passage, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. There's a huge difference between being open in theory and eagerly desiring something. You know, if when I proposed to my wife, if I'd said to her, hey, Helen, you know, I'm really open to spending the rest of my life with you. (laughs) I don't think I would have got a yes. (laughs) I didn't do that, like, to be clear. Like, she didn't want someone who is simply open to spending the rest of her life with Like, she wants to, to be pursued, to know that I am eager to spend the rest of my life, because I love you. I want to be with you. The way we keep the, spirit, the Spirit's fire vibrant in our life is not simply being open to it, you know, if, he, if and when he decides to do something. We to eagerly desire his activity, eagerly desire to hear from him, long for the gifts that he longs to give us. We need to hunger for them. We need to seek them out. We need to read about them. We need to pray about them. We need to ask one another to help us grow in them. We need to sign up for things like school of discipleship. Like, that's a great way of saying, God, I am eager to grow in the gifts that you have for me such that I am willing to invest of my time, even if that means I can't do other things, because I so want to know you more. Can I encourage you to sign up for that? And I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking on it. <laughs> like, I'm saying in spite of the fact that I'm speaking on it, it's still worth doing. Like, there is something that God loves about people who say, I really want to know you. And he is eager to give his gifts to us. But it's not just that we need to eagerly desire the gifts. We also need to be proactive about using them. Paul says to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. You know, it's possible to eagerly desire the gifts even receive the gifts, and yet not have them fanned into flame. The way that we fan into flame the gifts within us is by using them. You know, one of the areas that I am longing to see breakthrough in is in the area of healing. And I've been working at this and trying to learn and pray about this, and I'm starting to see some people healed, and it's exciting, but it's also terrifying. (laughs) But you know what? If I just said, oh, I'm eagerly desiring that gift, and that I don't ever pray for anyone... (laughs) Well, at some point you're going to say, how eager are you? (laughs) Because the way that we fan into flame the gift is to say, okay, I trust you've given it to me and now I'm going to use it. And we build up the muscle. Every time I pray for someone, it's terrifying. It really is. I haven't got through that. I still feel scared. I still feel nervous. And yet every time I do, it's like putting another log on the fire of the Spirit's activity in my life. I don't know where you're at with things of the spirit maybe you are new to this church maybe you've never been in a church like it maybe you're hating this evening good news is I'm only here once a year so come back next week don't you know make a decision based on tonight but like my point is actually whatever your experience of the spirit there is more however vibrant you feel your spiritual life has been up to now there's more and God is kind and he doesn't push us faster than we can go we are to cry out for gifts of the spirit and then we're to use them And each time we use them, each time we practice, it's like putting a log on the fire. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit and fan them into flame. We're going to have an opportunity to pray a little bit later. And I'd happily pray with you. If you have never experienced the Spirit, let's pray about that tonight. If you are longing for gifts, let's pray about that tonight. If you know you've had gifts but they've laid dormant, let's pray about that tonight. If you could do with prayer for healing, great. That's an opportunity for me to practice. I'm happy. Let's pray about that tonight. Develop a relationship with the Spirit. The second thing I want to suggest is this. Develop a lifestyle of prayer. 
See, prayer is central to the Christian life because it's the means by which we cultivate our relationship with God. Paul says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In a brilliant book, Prayer in the Night, uh, Tish Harrison Warren says this, faith, I've come to believe, is more craft than feeling, and prayer is our chief practice in the craft. I like that. There are times where we don't feel spiritually vibrant, and yet just putting in the effort of crafting this lifestyle of prayer. That's where the power lies. It's about the discipline of putting the fuel on the fire through regular, faithful prayer. I don't know what prayer looks like for you. It probably looks different for every one of us. For some of us, we just love to pray. Some of us, we just find it a real slog. <laughs> some of us, maybe it's about like having a long time first thing in the morning. Other people like snatch moments of prayer through the day. Some people pray in a noisy way. Some people in a quiet way. I don't care how your prayer life looks as long as you're developing that craft of spending time with God. Every faithful prayer is another log on the fire, allowing the Spirit's activity to grow within us. Can I encourage you, can I challenge you and provoke you to develop a lifestyle of prayer? And I say this to you as someone who finds prayer incredibly difficult. I always have. I am very jealous of people who can just spend two hours praying as if it's the easiest thing in the world. Like, I can barely spend 30 seconds praying without being distracted. It's just, like, it doesn't come naturally to me at all. And yet, I have learned over years that it is worth the effort because it is by putting in the hard work of learning to do this thing that doesn't feel natural that actually helps to bring my spiritual life alive. Prayer is vital if we are going to experience more of the power of the Spirit in our lives. And every prayer, no matter how hard the work, every prayer is like another log on the fire. So here's a challenge for you. Why not develop a lifestyle of prayer? Maybe you're already way ahead of me on this and you're doing great, in which case, brilliant. And you've probably got stuff to teach me and teach others as well. But just a simple challenge for you and something that I find helpful to do. Why don't you just make up a habit of praying three times a day? It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just morning, noon, and night. That works for me. Morning, just before I get out of bed, you know, before I pick up my phone, before my feet touch the ground, just take a moment to put a log on the fire and just say, Holy Spirit, good morning. (laughs) Uh, Would you fill me today? I need your presence. I need your power in my life. Would you give me everything I need for this day ahead? Then sometime around midday, whatever time works for you, just, I don't know, set an alarm for 1 p.m. or something like that and When it goes off, I mean, you don't have to announce to everyone, right, I'm going to pray now. I mean, if you want to do it, knock yourself out. But like for me, just my alarm goes off and wherever I am, just silently, just take 30 seconds. I'll be sitting at my desk, just, I don't know, turn my hands up on the desk or something and pray the Lord's Prayer. It takes 30 seconds, but there's something just brilliant about it because all the stuff that has dampened that that fire in the morning, all the disappointments, all the challenges, all the difficult conversations that just make me feel less spiritually vibrant, it's a chance to say, I'm just simply going to spend 30 minutes putting another log on the fire. Then at the end of the day, maybe last thing before bed or whatever, that's the time that my wife and I pray together. Just Again, it's not long, just a couple of minutes. We just say, Lord, thank you for today, and we thank him for specific things, and we ask for forgiveness to things we got wrong. And, and again, it's like putting another log on the fire that's going to keep the fire burning right through to the next morning. It doesn't feel exciting always, even often, but it's vital if we are to keep the Spirit's activity going in our life. Can I encourage you to develop a regular rhythm of prayer? And if you hear that and you're like, no, I don't have the energy for that. Like, I am exhausted. I get that. 
it is hard work partnering with the Spirit. It is hard work putting another log on the fire again and again and again, but it is worth it. And if you feel drained, if you're feeling like, no, I'm, there's barely any embers left to bring back to light in my life. If you feel like that, well, I want to encourage you. Jesus knows, and he is gracious, and he's kind, and he's not expecting lots from you. He's just expecting a willing heart. And both Isaiah and actually, I think, Matthew's gospel describe Jesus like this. It says, a smouldering wick he will not extinguish. If you feel like there is just the tiniest little ember of your spiritual life, barely anything at all, Jesus can work with that. He's not going to put it out. Actually, he's the perfect person to entrust yourself to when you're feeling low. He is the one who can heal, comfort and restore us. So develop a relationship with the Spirit, develop a lifestyle of prayer, and thirdly and finally, in fact, maybe the band would like to come up, be part of a community of faith. Because the danger about this is that you can think, well, my spiritual life is just between me and God, and prayer is between me and God, and it's all just about me and him. Actually, we're called to do this together. These instructions were given to a church, not just to an individual. You know, Romans is not a person, it's, it's a church. And so the encouragement is that we become people of prayer together. A couple of verses later, Paul says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That is, we are meant to be people who bring our whole selves together in community, the good and the bad. And I know that there have been times where I have just rejoiced with others and simply hearing the joyful prayers of others brings joy alive in me. And there have been times where I have got to pray with others who are going through awful things and I've got to pray for them. Or if I've been going through a difficult time, I have benefited from them mourning with me and praying for me. And there have been plenty of times where I have just felt so bad that I have not been able to articulate a prayer at all. And in those moments, exactly what I've needed has been a community who could say, it's all right, you don't have to pray right now, let's do it for you. And so like coals together in a fire, we do get to catch warmth from one another. Can I encourage you to be part of a community of faith? And if you're checking out churches and this is your first time here, it doesn't have to be this one. Wherever you go, wherever you end up, make sure that you are around people who who help you to catch light, who help you to grow in the art of prayer and in your spiritual life. Surround yourself with people who will challenge your faith and bring the Spirit's activity more and more alive for you. So my encouragement to you is this. Let's be set on fire by the Spirit and then let's do everything we can to keep adding fuel to the fire that he starts in our lives. Let's eagerly desire his presence. Let's prioritise prayer. Let's, let's embed ourselves in a community of faith so that we will be set on fire for the sake of a world that desperately needs to encounter the fire of God. But let's use this as a moment to give our hearts to God, to express our eager desire to know him more. And let's do that believing that actually when we pray that kind of prayer come holy spirit he doesn't just listen to it and then switch off like he answers that kind of prayer as we invite the spirit he will come and fill us